Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi, welcome. Welcome to Visual Workplace Radio, where we learn about the power, the principles, and the practices of sharing information visually. Hi, my name is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I'm your host on this, our weekly radio show, where we talk about and celebrate workplace visuality, letting the workplace speak. Thanks for taking time in your busy day. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. In each show, we look at some aspect of that, of how visuality allows you to embed the intelligence, your intelligence into your operational system through visual devices and visual systems. This is your, intelligent, your intelligence installed as the details of work. And they reflect the current level of enterprise excellence in your operations, even if you're not quite as excellent as you wish you would be or as you know you will be. And this works in factories and healthcare, offices, open pit mines, military depots. If there's work, there's information. If there's information, you need visuality. Visuality embeds information. And the result, well, stunning bottom line improvements in safety, cost, quality, productivity, on-time delivery, you name it all those KPIs, and a splendid cultural alignment because visuality is a language. And when you start putting a common language in place, you start bringing those disparate pieces of your organization together, and it's not long before people become spirited and engaged on all levels of the workforce, not just operators, but CEOs, plant managers, planning, purchasing, marketing, everyone. Wonderful cultural alignment because you're sharing language. And also, you know what? We enjoy ourselves at work. We flow. We do the dance of work. As my great friend, Rick L., a great visual thinker who worked as a master machinist at Denison Hydraulics many years ago, he said, we do the dance of work. And so I say, oh, wonderful. And I also say, welcome. And thank you for being here. Thank you also for your emails. We're getting more and more emails at radio at visualworkplace.com. Just send them to radio at visualworkplace.com. We'd love to hear from you. And we are really glad you're listening to the show. I want to also mention you can get my books and our online training systems from our website, visualworkplace.com, and send your emails there. You'll also find my radio shows there, and they are searchable along with my seminar calendar. I'm doing a series of public events over the next several months. I'm going to exciting places, Brazil and Poland and even Italy and Mexico, where I have very regular work. What wonderful work, working with the Mexican workforce. There's none better in the world. Open-hearted, open-minded, eager to learn, eager to innovate, to change, to transform. It's been just so wonderful. I'm doing a lot of work this year with the Shingo Prize. They've asked me to present at their various conferences, so you can find me there too as well. I hope you come visit. I'd love to meet you. (laughs) And reach us at radio at visualworkplace.com. So in this show and the next, we're getting back to 
the 10 doorways. I should say in the next several shows, we're getting back to the 10 doorways model, the way to create a workforce of visual thinkers, a fully functioning visual enterprise. This week, I'll do visual standards. That's doorway two. Next week, I'll do doorway three, visual displays, production control boards, visual scheduling. It's a wonderful, wonderful doorway for your supervisors and planners and your business unit leaders. But this week, we'll do visual standards and then we'll have another, what, six or seven doorways to go. All of them quite distinctive because remember, the doorway names the category of visual function, visual displays, visual metrics, visual pull systems, visual wear for doorway number one, and the group, the organizational group that is responsible for implementing that category of function. So this week, we're going to look at visual standards. Visual standards are also the domain of engineers, managers, and supervisors because that group, that functional group, is responsible for publishing Accurate, complete, and timely standards. And in visual standards, in this doorway, we make them visual. Okay? So, let us begin today's discussion. I want to kind of build it. And I also want to say at the outset that there is a good amount of confusion about standards, standardization, standard work. And, of course, visual standards as well. So I hope to peel the the onion on that. I hope to slice this carefully so that we can clear up some of the uh, questions, some of the baggage around that. I'll begin with a very flat statement. Standards are the bedrock of all work. Standards pave the way to repeatable, precise, and predictable outcomes. That is their purpose, and that's what they do beautifully. What manager, what supervisor does not pursue standards, standard work, and standardization as a starting point of control? The starting point of control and the end of human error. But where do visual standards fit in? And can they really ensure exact, stable performance? So let's map out the conceptual and application profile of visual standards, what they are, how they work, what they can and cannot contribute to operational excellence, the stuff and substance, that's what this is, doorway two. The category of visual function owned and led by managers, supervisors, and engineers, and also often misunderstood by them. And while I am at it, I'll clue you into a trap we can fall into if we try to build adherence by standardizing visual devices instead of cultivating visual inventiveness. So I want to stay on this point for a moment so you don't hear me saying that the job of doorway two is to standardize visual devices, not at all. Remember the one simple reason why a visual workplace is needed? People have too many questions. And most of those questions are asked, but a lot of them are not even asked. People don't even ask the questions they need answers to. They make stuff up instead. 
So we have the need to get answers. Some, a lot of questions are asked, but most of them are not, and people make stuff up. And therefore, the non-visual enterprise is flooded with not just missing answers, information deficits, but a lot of motion due to those information deficits, but also the stuff that we make up to fill in the gap. Remember our definition of motion, moving without working. This is the classic Ono definition. Taichi Ono defined that in the late 1950s. And that has morphed into um, the major metric for the visual workplace. I stumbled upon it again, saw it with fresh eyes and realized, wow, this is the way to talk about the struggle that happens. You move without doing work. The struggle that happens when you can't get the answers of what you need, when you need it, pull the answers to you. So there's a lot of information deficits. They trigger the questions if we're lucky, and questions are motion as well. So value-add associates visually answer the first of the six core questions. Remember, we went over six core questions in our second show. Where, what, when, who, how many, and how. Six questions. Value-add associates really focus on the visual where. When we implement visual order through the first doorway, we install the visual where for everything that casts a shadow. We apply borders, home addresses, and as applies, ID labels. Value-add associates lead this level of conversion through doorway one. When associates succeed in addressing their need to know, I need to know where things are, they naturally shift to their need to share and begin to visually answer the remaining of the core questions, what, when, who, how many, and how. They do this under the banner of something I've mentioned to you, customer-driven visual order. And when they do, they automatically cross the, the border into more advanced forms of workplace visuality. Implementing these Advanced visual functions is the focus of the other doors. And I want to make it clear that operators will often be involved. They are in no sense barred from the process just because they don't own, for example, doorway two. But it's the responsibility, major responsibility, of the managers, supervisors, and engineers. Okay? However much line employees may contribute to making operational standards visual, and in some companies this can be considerable, visual standards are the principal domain of engineers and supervisors because, as I said before, they are accountable for precise, the pre- precise performance of work, engineers in constructing complete timely and accurate standards and supervisors in communicating them and overseeing their execution, monitoring them. Doorway 2 visual standards is made up of two types of operational standards. We make them visual. Technical standards, your product specs and process specs, and procedural standards, your work methods and SOPs. Okay? So supervisors, managers, and engineers own the doorway because they're responsible for providing that very precise information, and in this doorway, they make it visual. 
Standards define what is supposed to happen in the process of work. That which is planned and, as the lean guys say, normal. Planned and normal. Conversely, when standards are weak or simply fail, in their language, abnormalities result in the form of errors, mistakes, defects, rework, scrap, unplanned downtime, and of course, associated late deliveries. Engineers and supervisors are expected as part of their job to identify and remedy related causes. This is called problem solving, a different doorway. But they first are mandated to publish those standards. They very much own this doorway. Okay? The challenge is to make technical and procedural information more accessible and immediate by converting those written, those designed, those intended specs and SOPs into a visual format. This work is always best undertaken, always best undertaken after the visual wear is in place and there's a semblance of location stability and predictability. But there are many, many companies that have begun their mm, journey to operational excellence with the simple step of turning their technical standards and their procedural standards into uh, visual standards. And you'll see them. They'll be um, sometimes simply words that are then put on a a placard, a, a stiff card, and laminated and hung on a clothesline or made available Uh, visually in the line of sight of the operators. Sometimes they're more ornate. They hold pictures. Sometimes they're segmented into uh, just uh, focal points. Pay attention to this. This is the tricky part. And, And then they're put into the line of sight of the operators. You can begin there, but there is an assumption that because you share a standard visually, it will be followed. And when it's not followed, there's another assumption. And both of them are wrong. The second wrong assumption is that if people don't follow it, it means they're lazy. It doesn't mean that there might be some other factor that makes it um, difficult to follow the visual standard the thing that you hung up with a clothespin or hung up on a hook for people to follow. And I find in general, widely, that operators are very sincere when they say thank you for for a standard that's been made visual because it does help them. It does help them follow the spec, follow the procedure. It's really good. It's really good. But it is not revolutionary. Visual standards tell us only. They tell us how. They tell us what. They tell us where. They tell us how many. They tell us who. But they don't make us do it. This is a really important point. Managers and supervisors get very excited. Engineers, plant managers get very excited when they publish these visual standards because it does make a dent, but it doesn't make a revolution. It does help enormously to have your procedures documented and published 
in a form that it can be followed. Usually the type is too small or usually the type is too big. I remember seeing visual standards at Lockheed Martin and every single word was a capital. And it was the way of the engineers say, you do this, darn it, do it, do it, do it. (laughs) And so they capitalized everything, not knowing what we know, which is when we capitalize, we have to read the words instead of recognize the words. You'll hear me say this, and I'll probably spend a whole show on it at one point. The mind is a pattern-seeking mechanism. And when we capitalize words, we actually cannot recognize the word because the mind doesn't see the pattern because there is no pattern. Everything is blocky letters. And it slows us down. We have to read the words. We actually sub-vocalize. The research shows that the larynx is sub-vocalizing the words, sub-sounding out the words because the mind is not recognizing it. The mind recognizes the sound when it is delivered. It's a a huge delay. It's one of the reasons why we have analog uh, devices on jet fighters, but we also have, we have digital as the backup, but the analog holds the pattern and the mind will respond to that much more quickly. It's a question of seeing, for example, see it in your mind's eye, nine o'clock as a clock with the hand pointing over there to the left short hand to the left and the big hand pointing right up, you recognize it. It's nine o'clock. You recognize it. But when you have nine o'clock as a digital readout, you actually are reading it. So it's just a small point as a precursor to saying, because we show people the right way doesn't mean that they do it or that they can do it, that they have enough understanding to do it. Visual Standards Doorway 2 can be a turning point for the organization, but it will make a dent, not a revolution, because it publishes at last what is the correct procedure. What are the specs? Do I really have to find the supervisor every time I want to know what the specs are for this job? Ah, you're going to make me more independent than I can just go after it myself. And for many organizations, this is a huge step forward, and we do respect that. And it takes a lot of work. Boy, if you don't have your operational procedures or your specs clearly documented and published, you're going to spend two years doing it. It is a lot of work because you have to validate everything. Now that you've committed to putting it on paper, it better be right (laughs) because it'll multiply Hmm? You understand. So visual standards are, they do mark the beginning of the journey. They're very important. But it's the difference between telling and making. And the making isn't forcing or ordering people to do it and standing over them glaring and glaring. Think of this. Think of here you are. Let's put you in a Porsche. Here you are driving down. Uh, a road, you're on the highway, and you have Bosch speakers, and you inside your Porsche, you are listening to something glorious. For me, that would be Mozart or Bach or the Eagles. I like the Eagles. I like the Grateful Dead. You know where I come from. <laughs> I don't know anything else. And, uh, and Frank Sinatra. <laughs> and it's blaring away, and you're speeding along, and you're going to go see Grandma, and you take a left turn, and you're now off the highway, 
and you are on secondary roads, you're getting into a residential area, and you're really enjoying your environment, the experience, and you don't see that sign that says, that tells you the way a standard will tell you, slow down, children playing. And there'll be little doggies on the sign as well. Children and pets playing, slow down. You just didn't see it because it's telling you, it's not making you. You want me to make you slow down in your Porsche? I'm going to put a couple of speed bumps in your way. Boom, boom, you've slowed down. Ooh, 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 I better slow down. I'm going to ruin my struts. That's making us do it. But what you need to realize is that both of them are forms of information. We call them power levels of visual information sharing. They're both forms of information. You may see the sign as information because it's word, but under, words, but understand that the speed bump is information as well, but it's been transformed into a device that is powerful enough to get a behavioral change. And that's why visual standards, doorway number two, is an important step forward. But it doesn't get the results that you might think you would get by telling people what is the right thing and how many and when, etc. It's because of the format. The format, it's a two-dimensional format. You've got to be very invested in that format to really absorb the information in that format. Next week, when we do visual displays, we'll be talking about a two-dimensional format that actually has interactive pieces that's called a visual display or production control board. I'm going to try to talk you out of the whiteboard, the hour-by-hour board, and make it more granular, more interesting, more tactile, so that you investigate. But we'll do that next week. So visual standards, I want to make this clear disclaimer at the beginning is important but not revolutionary. Do it by all means. And by the way, these doorways are not in order. You open the doorways based on your assessment of where your strongest information deficits are or what the easiest wins are. So you may elect to do visual standards because the path is so straight. But know that you're not going to get an uptick in productivity or quality. You just aren't. It's not going to solve your on-time delivery, but it is necessary. You may choose to do it, or you can move to Pokio to visual guarantees doorway number six if you're hemorrhaging in quality and you really want to take it on. We are actually been approached recently by, I think, is it 23 hospitals, a healthcare system, and they want to address this do no harm. And they said, we want your Pokio. We want Pokio. Visual is interesting, it's compelling, but we've got lives at stake here. It's not our reputation. It's our fiduciary responsibility. We are stewards of these people's health. Help us. They open doorway number six first. Then they can back into other stuff. Other doorways, I should say. Not stuff, but other doorways. Okay? So the doorways are not sequential, although most companies start with doorway number one because that's where the power is the least, the weakest, and where the culture is really hurting. Yeah. So doorway number two is a good doorway. Let me get back to our, um, took a little diversion to 
help you understand the power levels. Maybe you already get it. Okay. So if you have a choice, I have found that visual standards, actually, I'm going to contradict myself. It can happen before or after the visual wear. It really can. You got to do it no matter what. Data on key performance is is has to be made visual and has to be clear. Okay? You want to capture your technical and procedural standards in a visual format and install those as close to the point of use as possible. And I'm, I've got a few little tips that I'd like to run by you. But I just want to kind of walk through the process of doing that, of capturing technical and procedural standards, just so for those of you who are listening that you want to have a concept of what is the stepwise solution here, it's as simple as this. Simplify your, if you're looking at spec information, specifications, simplify your specification, your attribute information. Focus it and format it. Okay? You do the same thing with precise information step-by-step on standard operating procedures. You make them visual. You include plenty of drawings and photos to illustrate key points. You laminate this. Make sure the language has been vetted and approved by your engineering staff. You print it out on cardstock and you apply a thick laminate. And then you install it at or very near the point of use. I want to say a few things here. It's really important that the information be relevant. And in addition, in my experience and in my kind of coaching, what I advise our clients to do is to change visual standards frequently so that they remain dynamic. Switch them out often so you keep the focus fresh. As with anything, seen too frequently, visual standards can recede into the background like wallpaper, like wallpaper, if they are not frequently refreshed, replaced. This is more than a cosmetic consideration. Daily supervision is vitally connected to operator performance, and performance can be improved because visual standards are handy. Okay, but you want to find ways to engage your operators so that they are a part of the process of studying these standards. So I have got a few suggestions for you, but I wanted to say something else. Oh, I think the moment has passed. Uh, Oh, I wanted to tell you there are a lot, a lot of great programs out. Uh, we we recommend expert. We don't recommend above all others, but we like expert OJT. They're out of uh, North Carolina, I believe, and there are other software programs that make this fairly, um, probably not painless, but that groom the process so that you can get through it and do it repeatedly and reliably. Okay, so look online and compare them and ask people to. Uh, send their uh, their samples and send their machines, If especially if you're investing in a, a one- or two-year process. Get help from the software 
because you want to use photographs and you want to have a lot of choices in formatting. So when you make these up, your question becomes, where do I put them? So you can put them on a clothesline or you can have plastic pockets that affix them to the side of machines or benches. You can put them in a a three-ring binder, which is very popular. You just use the spine of the binder without the covers. You mount them at point of use. And then you flip them based on what you need. And you can even put tabs in place so that you can find the tab you're looking for for a particular product. But I want you in your mind's eye, if you would, to divide these visual standards into two categories. One is one that gives you the complete procedure step by step. It's 15 steps, it's seven steps, and you can move through them and see them clearly. You can't get it all on a single piece of paper, so you're going to have to do a series of pages to collect those 10 or 15 or seven steps. That's one category of visual standard. And it's useful because it is a complete protocol or a complete series of specs. You can have the spec and say, you want to achieve this, this is how to do it. But there's another set that I like a lot, and I'm driving towards a point of operator involvement. And that is where you just highlight, I mentioned this earlier, but I didn't highlight it. You highlight the tricky parts. You, you, you show up the part that is difficult or that people stumble on or where there have been the most errors. And what you do is you go to your operators and you ask them, what are the tricky parts? What are the parts? If, if a newcomer com- comes, joins you, what are the parts that they're going to stumble on? Tell us now. And let's make visual standards for the tricky parts the parts that people stumble on repeatedly. What that does is get you into the process of an interaction or a dialogue, a discussion, a conversation with your operators so that they are helping you identify the tricky parts, but they're also awake to it. Let that be part of their contribution. Say, look, we're doing really well. Will you keep looking for the tricky parts? As you stumble and self-correct, keep a note of that because somebody else will stumble and not know that they have to self-correct. Let's keep these visual standards a dynamic flow of information. And let's, and so here's the part that I love to do, let's put all of our visual standards in a bucket. Maybe we'll separate them by product or separate them by area or separate them by something and what? I, why don't we set it up that every week you choose one you want to work on? Just choose one. you got to change it out the next week. But choose one you want to work on and really work it. And see if you can move that dial so that that becomes a very smooth part of your routine. And then at the end of the week, switch it off to another. But if you really want to go on for another week, that's okay. Just let's find a way for you to say, hey, this is a bugabear for me and I'm really going to nail it. I want another week on it. Not that I need to know. I'm talking now as your supervisor. Not that I need to know, but just so that others know 
that you've done this special glimmer to say, hey, I really want to pursue this one. Because visual standards become like wallpaper. They are a big relief for operators and a bigger relief for supervisors, engineers, and managers. But you've got to keep them fresh because they are inherently non-dynamic. They are simply pieces of paper. They're like something on this, uh, in the barrack that says, clean up after yourself, I'm not your mother. Right? That's the standard. Clean up after yourself. I'm adding I'm not your mother. I'm not your father. I'm not anything. I'm, I'm, I'm a complaining colleague. That's what I am. Clean up after yourself. You don't want it. You want people to say, ah, I am using my visual standard to investigate about my, my own behavior and to help others because what I discover This is why it's important for you to have some kind of software program so you can change the look, the feel, and the information quickly. This could be a great project. It doesn't have to be dry as dirt. It can be interesting and compelling. It really has to be. If you open that doorway, number two, let it not be you dumping standards onto the shop floor and expecting people to obey because we know from... Our experience in the Porsche, that we get distracted and we're not thinking about obedience. We're thinking about getting through the day and it's not that interesting anyway. Make it interesting. There are all kinds of ways to make it interesting. If you just think about it a little bit or you ask your operators, how can we kind of make this sizzle? Let me throw out some ideas to you, you might say, as a facilitator. Stuff like this. What would it look like here? How can we keep this alive? How can we even create a metric that's interesting to you about getting better and better on these visual standards? So what I'm talking about is this doorway, which has no no inherent power, can become powerful if you seek to engage people. And you have to engage people intellectually based on their knowledge and their experience and ask them to go deeper. You ask people to do that, they're going to go deeper. Give them a chance. You'll see. So I have a few minutes late uh, left. I think that we'll be able to cover this. I wanted to make a few more uh, distinctions. I think I've made the point that doorway number two, <laughs> doorway two is inherently not that interesting, so you have to make it so, but that it's very, very important. Many companies get excited about that, and they're not wrong to. It's important. It's important. I want to talk about visual standards in terms of a different discussion of visual standards, standards about visuality, as it were. So a visual standard in my lexicon, in my work environment as Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I've been researching this for three decades, a visual standard has another cast, another meaning when we're talking about standards of behaviors related to implementing workplace visuality. So if you want standards related to visuality, let me give you a few to consider so you'll immediately immediately see the difference. 
they will surprisingly to some of you be not about standardizing visual devices. In fact, I have an allergy to it and I would uh, to that. I have an allergy to standardizing visual devices, and I hope to give you this illness as well, or this happy affliction, to not want to standardize your visual devices too soon. Visual devices are about capturing meaning and capturing, um, capturing, sorry, the word is failing me right now, but capturing the engagement of people being interested in organizing their work and performing their work with exactitude. I'll riff on that in a moment. Here's some examples of visual standards related to the implementation of visuality. Every address on a shelf shall include an arrow showing to which shelf a given address applies. That's a visual standard about visuality. That is a way of squeezing the error out of visuality. So, for example, if we have something that says the J190s on the edge of a shelf, we will know whether or not that refers to what's on the shelf or what's below the shelf. Lots and lots of mix-ups happen because arrows are not used for addresses. So you put that in place. If you've got a shelving unit, every address needs an arrow, period. Here's another one. This is visual wear. I'm very, very into the visual wear. (laughs) If there's a border and an address, if there's a border, there will be an address on it. Color coding will not substitute for the address. The address has to be digital or in words. Every border will have an address, will be identified. Addresses have to be, here's a third visual standard. All addresses have to be visible for pedestrians at two feet. And if a forklift operator uses the address, it has to be visible, readable, knowable at four feet. So you don't get these tiny, tiny little addresses where the forklift driver has to get off of his his. Uh, forklift in order to see if he's in the right place or in order to see that he's not in his right in the right place okay here's another one every department will designate the top of the stream the top of the department the um, start of the department with a designation you would call it a a a sign its name and the closure of the stream What's the end of the stream has to be designated. This is kind of (laughs) hard when you're completely surrounded by aisles and you can enter absolutely anywhere. But wouldn't it be interesting to have that designation? So that's a visual standard. You see, it's a standard about implementing, making more effective visuality and things like that. 3D tabs, for example, are required in all office cubbies, things like that. These are visual standards. Okay, I think what I want to do is make a little mention about standard work. So I've given you visual standards as doorway number two. I've given you visual standards as standards for making visuality more effective, giving you a sample of that. I've talked about standardization 
where you're making the task repeatable and reliable and predictable. And that really works against the inventiveness needed to capture information meaningfully into visual devices and visual systems. I think I'll do a whole show on standardizing too soon to kind of give you the cultural aspect of that and also how that can really work against your productivity and also your visual uh, effectiveness. And standard work, another use of the word standard, standard work is about segmenting the work content into sequential elements, into steps, and refining those elements or steps into the best procedure possible. What you're using as a lever there is the clarity of the information against time or within time. When we go one step further, standard work allows us to add time to it. When we add time to it, we can add pull to it. So standard work is a time-based process. When we add time, we add pull. It's one of the reasons why I say that lean is about time and visuality is about information. They're like two wings of a bird. Both wings are important. Which is more important, time or information? Wrong question. And the bird will demonstrate that both are necessary by flying off and using both wings in balance and strongly to get to the bird's destination. Yeah? So the confusion about standardization and standards and standard work and visual standards is one that you should get clear about. Do not be weakened by someone using standards or standardization in the wrong way or commanding you to standardize everything in the name of control because you won't get control. Nobody will be able to follow it. And it may not be a good standard, so you want to instead think of a standard as the best right now, but let's improve it. Anyway, that's another show. I think I want to close today's show with um, a little commentary that I wrote for the back of my book, Work That Makes Sense. It's pretty much the last page, 214. I like this so much because I wanted to share with you uh, what the feeling is about a workplace that speaks and what happens. This is going to be, towards the end, pretty much an operator's point of view. And I, I call it an uncommon solution. So please allow me. This is page 214. But I was thinking that it, it, it says very nicely something that is a, a summation or a window on visuality. Workplace visuality is an uncommon solution. Its rewards are both obvious and understated. The obvious part is operational transparency and the elimination of searching, errors, mix-up, defects, rework, scrap, accidents overdues, and other grosser forms of motion, because we consider all of that motion. They are the result of some level of information deficit. 
As we locate workplace items closer to their point of use, we automatically reduce the distance traveled. As we make the workplace physically and psychologically safer, we begin to relax on the inside. The stress begins to evaporate. And as we embed the pattern of work into the physical landscape, operational details surface visually and we become masters of our workday. That's when the understated rewards start. Unwanted questions and interruptions begin to evaporate. Things no longer get in our way. Struggle begins to recede. The workplace becomes our partner in delivering value to our customers and our suppliers downstream, upstream, atstream, and in the marketplace. Over time, the area we move within becomes more focused and requires less attentiveness. The order and logic of work becomes so visual that a harmony settles in. Our movements become efficient and less scattered. We begin to notice less obvious forms of motion, and we find ways to visually minimize these as well. Workplace visuality has turned motion reduction into a science and an art and has become the perfect ally to your other improvement efforts. TPM, Six Sigma, A3 Thinking, Quick Changeover, Lean, and the other methods that make up the journey to excellence. Aligned with visual, they form a powerful partnership. As that alliance deepens, operations in every setting and every venue come to be executed efficiently, smoothly, and within the context of time, speed, safety, and quality. If you have ever observed or worked in a department that has mastered visual and lean, you have seen people maneuver in a space defined by the value that gets added there, the work. I love that. Sorry, I wrote it, but I sometimes when I write things, I think, wow, that's really good. In a space defined by the value that gets added there, the work. All the waste has been removed from the process, and motion is at an absolute minimum. In the best of these areas, work looks more like dancing. Every step and every hand movement is choreographed, measured, fluid, and intentional. The same can be true for all work settings, including traditional manufacturing. Whether you work in a city hospital or county county clinic, a machine shop or stamping plant, an assembly line or in purchasing in a bank, a military depot or an open pit mine, visuality is central to it and can create an entirely new level of work. One that blends focus, intention and results for outputs that are superior As your focus becomes more precise, suddenly it's just you and your work. When struggle has been minimized and all the tiny extraneous interruptions removed, you can simply do your work. You are alert and relaxed as you bring a new dimension of attention to the task at hand. This state is possible at work, on the shop floor, in your company. You have experienced it before but perhaps not yet at work. It is a state of intent stillness where all your resources are at your disposal and they surface to assist you when and as needed. They flow from you. Motion as you have known it no longer exists in any form. It is just you 
and the silent, steady rhythm of your breath as value is added. This is what you have always wanted work to feel like. This is what work is meant to be. The ease of your contribution flowing through you and into the process your company has asked you to perform. This is work that makes sense. And this is what we're talking about. We're walking through the 10 doorways, illustrating, I hope vividly, the contribution that each level of the organization can make to this state of work that makes sense, of flow, of intentionality, and of of a relaxed state inside of us as we simply do our work. Work is not necessarily labor. If we clear the barriers out, and for me, big chunk of that is information deficits. They get in our way. They stop us. Then we can begin to make the contribution. If you remember, I think it was the third show. I think it was. I talked about Ted and how he wanted to be a hero at work. This is possible. Work can be a glory. It is for me. And when I see visuality being implemented, I see that glory on the faces of the people I'm working with. I see them find themselves at work and they grow. They grow. One of my favorite questions is, what does growth mean to you? And I'll say that to, you know, the boardroom. What does growth mean for this company? But also, what does growth mean to you who are a supervisor? What does growth mean to you who are an engineer, who are an operator, who is a a plant manager? What does growth mean? Because if you're working eight hours a day, X number of days a week, it's got to happen there. If it doesn't happen there, where is it going to happen? It's going to happen at work. This is part of what visuality brings. I've really enjoyed sharing this with you today. We're in doorway number two. We'll do doorway number three next week. I'll get to wax uh, excessively <laughs> with visual displays and production control boards, my favorite. No, I've got favorites. I've got like 10 favorites in the 10 doorways. I love them all. <laughs> so I want to sign off now. I simply want to thank you for tuning in and uh, hope that you come back and learn some more and s- send in your comments, your photos, your questions if you wish to radio at visualworkplace.com. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. Let the workplace speak. Thank you for joining us this week at Visual Workplace Radio. Tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, with your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Let the workplace speak.